Today's message is one we all hope we never would have to be an issue for us. Without question, some of us have wondered about this topic being a deal breaker for our salvation. You know Jesus has saved you, but when you come to a passage such as the one that we will read and interact with today, it may cast great doubts in the forefronts of your mind. It casts great doubts on our salvation, possibly based on some horrible decisions that we have made years ago to say some things or to do some things that would never even cross our minds today. If you could, in fact, we would go back in time and undo all those things plus a few others as well if we could, but we know it's not even possible. It is not possible to erase the past from our minds. But it is possible for God to cast our sins, here it is, into the sea of forgetfulness. Amen. This is welcome news for all of us. Except for the subject in today's message. It cannot be cast into the sea forgetfulness by God. Have you ever besmirched the work of the Lord? Have you ever said so glibly, that's not God, but that's the devil at work. When God is at work, we hope his ministry to the world would be clear and we hope uh, that his work would point directly back at him. We like to say that uh, so-and-so was healed or this happened because it was God who healed them. Or it was God who made a way when there was no way and when there was nowhere to turn. When your back was against the wall, we like to say that that was God at work. Much like in the ancient time of Jesus, we too, yes, us in here, plus all those who are under the sound of my voice, can make a critical error in trying to label when God is at work and when the devil is at work. We can make an error in our identification as who was doing the work. Well, this message today is for the believer and it's also for the unbeliever as well. It is like us needing to Guard our tongue as one who would carefully guard who they give their credit card or their cash to. It is like 
The necessity of us guarding our tongues as one would guard their two-year-old who wants to passionately run out into the middle of the, sh the street in order to get their ball back. God is speaking to us in this message. He's telling us to watch it. So in this message today, we come face to face with the sin of blasphemy. Face to face with blasphemy. As we are encouraged when there's hope or convicted when there is sin. Mark chapter 3 verse 22. Mark chapter 3 verse 22. With willful ignorance, people attribute the work of Jesus to the work of the devil. With willful ignorance, people attribute the work of Jesus to the work of the devil. Verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub. And the prince of demons, and by the prince of demons, he, and that he of course is Jesus, he cast out demons. Jesus' opponents, again, they bring false accusations against him. Here in our passage it says that the scribes came down from Jerusalem, but Jesus was most likely in Galilee, and if Jesus was most likely in Galilee, that means Galilee was north of Jerusalem. So how in the world can Jesus come down, uh, can the scribes come down uh, from Jerusalem if Galilee is north of Jerusalem? For those of you who are students of the Bible, uh, one thing that you know for sure, that Jerusalem is higher in elevation than Galilee. So even though, according to our modern standards, we know that Galilee is north of Jerusalem, but the bottom line is that Jerusalem is higher in elevation in feet as opposed to Galilee. So even though uh, the scribes were in Jerusalem, uh, south of Galilee, in order for them to get to Galilee, they had to come down in elevation. So those of you would say who would look at a map and say that, uh, that proves right there that the scriptures are wrong, you can tell them, well, neither do you know Jesus, but neither do you know the word of God. So the scribes mentioned that Jesus received his authority from a dark force in which they thought that he was possessed. First they said that, uh, that Jesus was possessed by Beelzebul. Then they said he cast out demons by the prince of demons. 
Who is Beelzebub? Beelzebub is an epithet, or like a negative, in this case, a negative nickname referring to Satan, which means Lord of the Flies, or here it is, Lord of the Manure Pile. In the Hebrew scriptures, one thing that you would know, both flies and manure, both are unclean. So therefore, uh, this negative name uh, that they are uh, giving, ascribing to Jesus Christ is meant to insult him. But in Luke chapter 11, verse 15, Scripture also makes it clear that Beelzebub is the prince of the demons. But one thing for certain is they recognize the work that Jesus did was supernatural. So even though they said that, you know, all the things that Jesus was doing, that it was by the prince of the demons that he was possessed by the devil, he was possessed by Satan himself, the bottom line that we can see clearly in Scripture that they recognize what Jesus did, that it was supernatural. They just couldn't figure out where did this Jesus get this power from in order to operate in the supernatural? They knew what he did was something out of the normal course of natural occurrences. In fact, this may be a predicament that people of our day that we struggle to come to terms with because we see sometimes how people are healed, but we're trying to figure out by from which power whence your healing comes. We try to figure out if something supernatural has happened, by whose power did it occur? In other words, by which power did it occur? Was it, in this case, was it by the power of God or was it by the power of darkness? But in this case, they accuse. Very interesting that the word Satan it means the accuser. As a matter of fact, when you look in the original language, and when you see the word accused in Scripture, you will see, uh, you will see a rendering of the word uh, Satan there for accused, to accuse someone. But in this case, they accused Jesus due to a jealousy as they had because they wanted to control all things religious and otherwise. Who is this Jesus? How is he going to come all willy-nilly out of nowhere? He didn't come through all the schools that we went through, all the political circumstances. He didn't go through all of that. So therefore, if he didn't, where does he get this power from? We don't like it a bit. We don't like it a bit because now we're not going to look as strong as we used to. They said that Jesus was casting out demons by the prince. Of demons. Now these are uh, serious charges lobbed against God. Because if we believe that Jesus Christ is, who is the Son of Man, who is the Son of God, 
who is God, they are in essence saying that God is casting out demons by the prince of the demons. Boy, you got to be pretty knowledgeable, pretty wise, and pretty well informed to say that God operates like a demon. Wouldn't you say so? be a big fool. But look at what the scripture says about one of the angels. Please turn with me one book before the book of Revelations to the book of Jude. Verse 9 and 10. If you need a chapter, chapter 1, there's only one chapter. Jude verses 9 and 10. And I'm reading now. But when the archangel Michael contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses. He did not presume, in other words, he was not presumptuous, to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people, he says, blaspheme all that they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. See? So in other words, Jude was saying, there are some people out here who who are bringing accusations about certain things because they're just trying to understand it according to the natural course of life. He's saying that uh, what they are doing, they're acting just like an animal. They're acting uh, just like a dog who acts like a dog, right? And do dog things. They're acting, you know, uh, like the elephant who knows nothing but uh, to get to water when it's time. Not because he thinks ahead of time and says, you know what, we need to plan where we're going to do and where we're going to go and what time we're going to go. And uh, elephants don't operate like that. Instinctively they know uh, they need this, so they begin their charge towards the water uh, of the entire herd. Uh, so here, uh, what uh, Jude is saying, he's saying there are some people who in their minds they think, according to their philosophical uh, positioning and reasonings and and how they had lived their life and been taught by secular teachers that we can make presumptions about God. Uh, But the Jew says they're nothing but animals. Nothing but animals. So in this passage, we must carefully study the response of an angel when he was at war with a dark force. Even when the evidence seemed clear, the archangel Michael was not presumptuous in his assessment about the situation. Right? He didn't even make a charge against the devil. He just says, the Lord rebukes you. It's pretty interesting about those people that I hear today who always talk about how they're going to put the devil under their foot. So back in Mark, all of those words by the scribes were meant to insult Jesus. And they were a true reflection of their heart. Oh, how quickly we run to defend our thoughts and our opinions as if they all were the gospel. 
How we think we are so wise as to never be in error concerning the decisions we make or the directions that we go in. In this, the Lord is quickly inviting us to watch, to observe, and to take note. He wants us to consider the scribes and to consider ourselves in the charges even that we throw against one another. Scribes here, they, as well as the Pharisees and the Sadducees and Herodians and the, uh, everyone else in between, that they denied that Jesus was the incarnation of God, but here in this passage instead they say that he is the incarnation or incarnated by the devil. That an incarnation of God into flesh? No, but uh, the devil incarnating this person? Yes. Again, they knew that he utilized a supernatural power, and it could not be denied. They could not say no, because the, uh, the miracles were evident and right before their eyes. In addition, they all uh, were done openly for all to see. Yet, they allowed their personal proclivities to guide them. Mark chapter 3, verses 23 through 27. And he called them to him, said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man then indeed he may plunder his house. Most of you who are mature and mature in the Lord, one thing that you know about division, and that is division is self-defeating. Division in the church is self-defeating. Division on your job is self-defeating. Division in your family is self-defeating. Anytime that there is division, it is self-defeating. This principle, principle of unity, was instituted by God himself, right? In which there is God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in which they uh, operate within one essence. This principle instituted by God is true of all sectors in life. That's why we must be very diligent about division. So Jesus, as was his mode of teaching, especially unbelievers, he responds again by utilizing parables to get his point across. Remember that a parable, it can veil an answer, all while revealing a deeper truth in a very profound way, if the listener truly wanted to understand what he was saying. Amen. I know some of you saying, well, you know, uh, some of that scripture, I really, I don't, I don't even understand. Uh, but I believe that if you continue to pray and you study the word of God, that God will give you the spirit of understanding. 
That if you really want to know what the scripture says, seek him first. Seek him first and he will open the riches and the treasures of his glory to you. So Jesus says that it is a contradiction to have one rule of power to go against itself by warring with those who are supposed to help them. How many of you would send someone to help you if you knew they would stab you in the back? I've been in situations and I've known of situations as well uh, whereas uh, sometimes, as you know, I, I perform with uh, several musical groups and I've seen people uh, that are part of a, a band when there's a leader and some of those band leaders, what they will do on a leader's job, they will have their own personal business cards and they would try to pawn their own personal business cards in division or in contradiction to what that leader was trying to do. See, some folks, they want to stab you in the back. Jesus says that it's ridiculous for him to destroy the power of the one who sent him if the one who sent him encouraged him to do it. It doesn't make any sense. And he did this by mentioning these three parable-like statements to help drive his point home. Number one, as you saw, uh, the kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Cannot stand. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Satan rising up against himself cannot stand. As a matter of fact, let's get involved in this. I want you to finish this phrase by saying cannot stand. Here we go. A kingdom divided against itself. A house divided against itself. Satan rising up against himself. And then finally, the last one was his point. If there is no unity, then uh, the demolition and the destruction of that power or organization is imminent. It is coming. It is coming very soon uh, if there is division. So he says in verse 27, Jesus says that I, I am, that is, he was stronger than the, stronger, the strongest of his enemy. Verse 27, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Uh, let me just read that again. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Listen to how the message writes this. He says this, Eugene Peterson. Do you think it's possible in broad daylight to enter the house of an awake, able-bodied man and walk off with his possessions unless you tie him up first? Tie him up! Though, and you can clean him out. In this case, if Jesus was able to deliver a person from the stronghold of the devil who, was, who had uh, them bound, then it means he holds power far greater than the one who brought them into captivity. Throughout history, it's clear that those who have power want to hold on to it into eternity if they could. Just remember all the pharaohs. Remember the Caesars. Attila the Hun, Hitler, Napoleon, 
and mostly every other king and queen that you can possibly imagine that came to power. Everyone wants to hold on to power. Why would Satan all of a sudden change his mind about Jesus? Satan would not and could not give that power to Jesus. So here it is. Blasphemy seals the fate of the wicked. Blasphemy. It seals the fate of the wicked. I think I need to say that again because I think we need to hear that. Blasphemy seals the fate of the wicked. Mark 3, verse 28. Truly, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin for they were saying he has an unclean spirit oh yeah God will get, forgive all the sins of people. I'll say that again. God, he will forgive all the sins of people. And Jesus says here in verse 28 uh, that every sin will be forgiven, including every blaspheme they blaspheme. You see that? Well, look at that. Every sin will be forgiven, including every blaspheme they blaspheme. Well, what is blaspheming? It is a negative or insulting words spoken, in this case, directly against God. Talk that denigrates or defames another. The interesting thing is that both you and I have heard some really raunchy things spoken about the Lord. In fact, some of you may have been the ones who've said that. Some of those things have been so bad that you would not even want to be in the same room with those folks out of the fear that God would strike them down. Have you ever uh, heard someone say something about God and you say, you know what, let me get up out of here because I don't want the ground to open up and me fall in the middle or I don't want lightning to strike and as collateral damage, uh, that lightning hits me. Have you ever been in that situation before? <laughs> in other words, we don't want to be around when words like those are spoken. But even the word, the, the person speaking those words, they can be forgiven. They can, yes, they can be forgiven. Remember, however, that when Jesus speaks that everyone will be forgiven, all sins will be forgiven, he was not talking about universalism in which some believe that every single person is going to end up in heaven. Right? That is not what Jesus is talking about. In essence, what he's talking about, everyone who places their trust in him, that they will be forgiven. But you're saying, but what about this blasphemy stuff? Right? Because Jesus said that every blasphemy will, uh, every, every blasphemy, it says in the original language, every blasphemy that is blasphemy uh, will even be forgiven, he says. But the point is that every sin will be forgiven by God, that people sin. So Jesus speaks not only of the words, 
people say, but include the sins that they commit. This is a huge net of grace, God's grace. We can be very uh, thankful uh, for the grace of God given to us as a gift for everyone and anyone desiring salvation. But again, there's one exception to all those sins, and that one exception is blaspheme. And not just blasphemy, every blasphemy that everyone blasphemes, right? The idea of, of, uh, of, uh, of the word blasphemy, as a matter of fact, you can find it multiple times. As a matter of fact, let's look, I think it's in Ephesians chapter 4. Here's an example. Ephesians uh, chapter 4. And uh, let's go to verse 31. Verse 31. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. As a matter of fact, let's read verse 30. Verse 34, 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and blasphemy be put away from you, along with all malice. So the word that is translated slander is actually the word blaspheme. So the word blaspheme means to speak ill of another. But in our context in here, in Mark chapter 3, specifically it speaks of speaking ill against God and then ill against the Holy Spirit. But Jesus says though even though all sins will be forgiven, the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. Never. He says never. And what does Jesus mean by never? He says, no, uh-uh, no way in the world. You can bank on that. But wait a minute. I thought that God was all loving and caring and that he's willing to take people in. This is one of those subjects that we have to come face to face with, brothers and sisters. Have you ever wondered if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? Have you ever wondered? Has that ever been in the back of your mind? Hmm. As you can imagine, this is a serious charge for anyone to hear. But I believe the answer to that question, if you have not taken part in that convicting act, that as I walk through this, it will relieve you of an issue that has festered in your mind for years. Here it is. When you blaspheme to the point of unforgiveness, you resist the work of the Holy Spirit. And by doing so, there is no way for the Spirit to get into your heart to do its work. When you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, uh, you re to the point of unforgiveness, uh, you resist the work of the Holy Spirit. And by doing so, there is no way for the Spirit of God to get into your life to do its work. This is one of the reasons why I believe Scripture tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, do not quench the Spirit. Quenching the Spirit means putting water on a spiritual fire that is set ablaze in your heart by God. That fire not only represents the life that God gives you, but it also burns away any work that is unlike the Lord in you. We therefore quench the Spirit when we stop His work from progressing in the area, of that very area that God wants to move in your life. Uh, when you say no to the Spirit of God, you quench the Spirit of God. 
But we can also resist the Holy Spirit as well. Acts chapter 7, verses 51, 52. Acts chapter 7, verses 51, 52. We can also resist the Holy Spirit as well. Look at what Stephen said before they stone him to death. He says this, under the power of the Holy Spirit, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the, capital R, righteous, capital O, one, whom you have now betrayed and not just killed by accident, murdered. Wayne Grudem states this, the work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world. The work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world. So why is the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit so damning and with such dire consequences? In this case, you know, we get a little help from John. John chapter 14, verse 10 and 11. And here is first understand that the words and actions of Jesus Christ and God the Father are in tandem. So when, when Jesus is working, we can say that who's working? Let's try it again. When we say Jesus is working, we say also that the Father is working as well. But Jesus said, the work that I do, these are the works that my Father do. He says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. He says, no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. So in other words, Jesus said, the, the works that I'm doing are, are, are the works that God the Father are doing as well. John chapter 14, verse 10, 11. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Jesus is saying, I'm not possessed by Beelzebul, as you would say, that I am full of God because I am God. Verse 11, believe me, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else, here it is, if you don't believe, if you don't believe me, if you don't believe the Father, he says this, or else believe on account of the works of themselves right and this kind of uh, links us up with where we are here in third chapter of mark this means the testimony which comes from the son and god the father is not only true but it is united as well so god wants all people of all time to trust in jesus christ and he had done so not only through the testimony of the words of jesus but also through the many prophets who had come before him it's incarnation, that is. Jesus wants us to trust in him based on his words. But in some cases, obviously the words were not good enough. Uh, people uh, told Jesus, I want to see evidence of who you are. What you're telling me is not good enough. I, 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 I think this is why Jesus told Thomas, he says, you believe because you have seen. He says, but blessed are those who believe and what? Have not seen. Did you know you're blessed? 
Do you know if you came to Christ without seeing a miracle, without seeing this happen, do you know that you are even more, that more of God's blessing is all piled up on top of your life? I don't care what's going on in your, in your life. I want, to, I want you to know that you in, in, truly have a God's grace and high favor on your life because you have believed without seeing, without seeing a miracle or without seeing God himself. You have believed without all that evidence. You have believed based solely on the words of Jesus Christ. And for, the, for that, he says, you are even more especially blessed. Amen? So Jesus, and I'm walking through this, uh, Jesus was willing to say, okay, you don't want to believe in my words? Okay, then I'll show you through my power. So it is the presence, and here it is, and power of the Holy Spirit we see in operation when miracles are performed. And when new giftings emerge and develop in individuals. The evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in this message is the deliverance of people from sickness, diseases, physical condition, and demonic possession. Those were all the works of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says, okay, number one, you don't, be, you don't believe the Father because even your fathers did not believe God the Father and that's why they uh, had to go in deportation to other lands in the first place. And then you come along, you don't believe the work of the Father. The Father sends me. Or you don't believe my words. I'm telling you my words. And so then Jesus says, okay, strike one. You didn't believe the words of God the Father. Okay, gotcha. Strike two, you're not believing my word. So what I'm going to do for you, I am going to perform miracles. You don't believe my word, but surely you're going to believe of the very works that I do. So I am going to open the eyes of the blind. I am going to raise up the dead. I'm going to cast out demons from the uh, demonically oppressed and possessed. I'm going to do it all far beyond any other prophet that you could have possibly seen. In me, you're going to see the glory of God come upon me. In me, you're going to see uh, the salvation that I can possibly offer you. You're going to see it all. These are the works. Uh, when they came... When John the Baptist had doubts about who Jesus was from prison. When John the Baptist, yes, John the Baptist who came in the form of Elijah, we remember that from Bible study class, uh, when he came in the form uh, of himself uh, through the ministry of Elijah the prophet, right, he came in a place that he doubted Jesus Christ, the very one that says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When he doubted who Jesus was, Jesus sent word back to him. and says, Tell John this. He says, Tell him that the blind see. Tell him that the lame walk. He says, tell them that I've shown up not only in person, not only in word, but I've shown up in power. Tell them that and surely they will believe. The devil is a liar. He's a liar. We saw it in Mark chapter 1 when the demon-possessed man uh, and, and the exercise 
uh, Jesus exercised those demons out of him. And we saw it in chapter 1 when Jesus cleansed the leper. We saw it in Mark chapter 2 when Jesus forgave the sin of the paralytic who turned around and was able to walk afterwards. And then we see it in, in Mark chapter 3 when Jesus restored the withered hand of the man back to normal. This is what's happening. Jesus says, look, look, look at my works. All of these supernatural occurrences demonstrate the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit. So the nation of Israel and any individual who have heard the testimony from the Father and the Son and finally the Holy Spirit, what's left? Here it is. Right? God sends his word. The Father sends his word. They didn't listen. He says, strike one. God sends his word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. The Lagos, remember that from Wednesday? God sends his son. The word, Halagos. They didn't listen. So now, strike one with the Father. Strike two with the Son. Now there's none left but the Holy Spirit. And now if you reject the work of the Holy Spirit, guess what? Strike three, you're done. You have officially blasphemed the Holy Spirit. When you have denied the Father, denied the Son. This is why even in Matthew chapter 12, when you see a parallel uh, uh, accounting of the same passage, uh, it says you can go ahead and deny the Father. Okay. It says you can go ahead and deny the Son, but when you deny the Holy Spirit, you are done. There remains no hope for you when you have rejected the obvious. You have officially blasphemed the Holy Spirit. When you finally make it to that point, you're just like the angels who sinned in heaven. When you finally make it to that point, you, have, you become just like the angels, now we call them demons, who sinned in heaven. They have no way back to God. They're done. I have often wondered about people who I thought blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And one of the ways that you can also determine whether or not they blaspheme the Holy Spirit, they simply just simply cannot receive that word to trust in Jesus. They just can't receive it. And I believe in some of those cases that the very issue in them is because they have blasphemed the work of the Holy Spirit, strike three, and they're done. I know a gentleman like that. That it seems over the years that no matter how I witnessed to him for over 20, 30 years, and it's not the typical one. Sometimes you know people 20, 30 years or, or, or longer, and it's like, well, you know, I, I'm not sure about all that stuff. And you can get it. But, but those folks, uh, this one gentleman I think of, uh, that he is just as, as hard. And he, he will curse uh, Jesus Christ and his works. And I understand now that he is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And one of the ways that you can, you can tell is that when they never accept Christ. When they never accept Christ, you know they've talked against, uh, against the Holy Spirit. Someone told me a, a story this past week. I hope they don't mind. I'm not going to mention their name. Uh, about someone that they knew that... They were talking against God. 
they, they were talking against God. And, um, and they were talking against God to someone who was a believer, saying all manners of things about God. Ultimately, ultimately this person, they ended up in an accident, and they ended up dead. You see, once, you, once you're done, have you ever wondered why it seemed like some people's lives are cut off short? Why? Now, it may not, blasphemy may not be, blasphemy may not always be the case, but it makes us wonder. It's also interesting that uh, Jesus, his accusers, that they often spoke of him as blaspheming God. The destiny of Israel as a nation, it depended upon them correctly interpreting who Jesus was. Their destiny as a nation depended upon interpreting who Jesus was. But also our eternal state. The destiny of our eternal state, it depends upon us correctly interpreting who Jesus is as well. Matthew chapter 12 Verses 36, 37. Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. You will be okay. And by your words, you will be condemned. Well, if you have spoken thus and thus against God, but yet you've received salvation, I believe you have not blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Because once you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, there is no hope for you. You're done. You're not going to want to believe in Jesus Christ. You're done. It's over. So if you've accepted Jesus Christ, you can be assured that you have not blasphemed the Holy Spirit. But if you have, and you still have not accepted him as Lord and, uh, Lord and Savior, it's very likely that you may have blasphemed him. Possible. That's for God to decide and for us to continue to witness. So in that, for some of us, it it's like a pressure cooker that's been cooking for however long pressure cookers cook, right? And you know, that pressure has been building up on the inside. Then when it's done, you know, when it's time for the steam to come out, that that steam needs to come out gradually. For those of you who may have thought that you have blasting the Holy Spirit is like that, finally. I did not blaspheme the Holy Spirit because I've come to Christ. For that, Lord God, we all can say thank you. But if you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit, uh, we pray that uh, your time, wherever you're going to spend that, will be less severe. But that's according, but that's uh, necessary for God to decide.